welcome to Shuffle Buddies. My name is Chris Heine, and I am coming to you all by my lonesome today. This is another special episode of A Deck of One, where I talk to you, dear listener, one-on-one to discuss a game I've been playing solo. And today I wanted to talk about a pair of games that I have been playing on and off for quite a while now. And I kept meaning to talk about these games on the podcast, but I just never found a great opportunity. And to be honest, they're quite a they're quite a handful. And so I was just thinking about them the other day, and I decided uh, maybe I should record a Deck of One episode specifically dedicated to those two games, which are Imperium Classics and Imperium Legends. But before I get to that, I thought I could return to the topic of Elden Ring, which I discussed on the last A Deck of One episode, because as of this morning, I have officially beaten Elden Ring. Sad, but true. And again, it's sad because I always love having a Souls game to work my way through, and um, having fresh original content that I've never seen is a rare treat indeed. Um, And so I enjoyed pretty much every moment with Elden Ring start to finish. It is a massive game. Overall, it took me about 115 hours to work my way through it. And surprisingly, uh, I really didn't use any guides or looking anything up. And I feel like other people have said even longer. So maybe I missed a huge portion that I'm unaware of, but this is kind of one of my favorite parts of Souls games. And this is where I've kind of had blinders on up until this point where, again, if, if it came up on a podcast or something, I wouldn't not listen to it. But I have gone out of my way to avoid learning too much about it. I've, I've avoided watching too many videos. I've avoided... Uh, looking anything up. And so once I beat a Dark Souls game, then it's the floodgates are open. It is going to be 24-7 Elden Ring content uh, as much as I can get my hands on because I have a lot of questions about all sorts of different things. These Souls games are known for being really, really impenetrable with their lore in a lot of ways, but also I personally find them incredibly just interesting and nuanced and rich. And there's just so much to to pick apart that it's really kind of a whole nother game after I finish the game to kind of really deep dive and, and take a look at a lot of the content I experienced and recontextualize it a little bit with some more information, some more speculation, seeing things that I missed, all of these different things. So that being said, Elden Ring is dead. Long live Elden Ring. I'm going to jump right into talking about Imperium classics and legends to keep this episode nice and short and just get right to the meat of what I wanted to talk about. So Imperium Classics and Legends is designed by Nigel Buckle and David Tertsey. It's got some interesting art by Mihalo Dimitrevsky, and it's published by Osprey Games. Now, the Imperium games are often described as civilization deck building games, and although there's a lot of deck building that happens within these games. There's a whole lot more as well. And I don't think I would have immediately described it as a deck building game if I hadn't seen that kind of bandied about so much. But I'm going to dive into a little bit about how Imperium works before I kind of give you my thoughts. And the first decision you need to make when you're picking up an Imperium game is you need to choose which nation you're going to play. Now, again, we're talking about classics and legends, which are two boxes that are the same system, the same game. The way that they're different is that Classics has eight civilizations uh, from history, and Legends has a different eight civilizations, and a few of those are more fantastical, like the Atlanteans or the Arthurians. 
but they also do have some historic civilizations from history as well. So that being said, if you have both boxes, you have about 16 different civilizations, or I think they call them nations, to choose from. And each nation comes with a power card, which is going to give that nation a specific, unique power and scoring condition. You'll also get a state card, which is just a simple two-sided card that is used to remind the table if you're either in your barbarian or your empire stage of development. And most importantly, you'll get several small decks of cards that are totally unique to your nation. In addition to a small starting deck, you're going to get a nation deck and a development deck, both of which will be slowly added to your starting deck as the game progresses and further shape your already unique nation to be even more unique and asymmetric. So each player is going to play most of the game using their deck and building a tableau in front of them. However, there is a shared area of the game that consists of a public market of cards that players are going to be taking from to add to their deck. Notably, I should say in the Imperium games, there are several different types of cards. And when they are in the public market, all cards except for region cards are going to come with a generic bad card called Unrest. I'll talk more about Unrest later, but just be aware it's, uh, it's not a good thing to get Unrest in your civilization. So in Imperium, you start your turn with a hand of cards, and you can perform one of these three types of turns. Activate, Innovate, and Revolt. Innovate and Revolt are actually super simple, and I'll come back to them in a moment, but let's talk about Activate, which is the type of turn you're going to be taking 90% of the time, if not more. When you Activate, you can take three actions for your turn, which usually just involves playing a card. And these cards can do anything from adding a card to your tableau for a new permanent ability. It can trigger a one-time action to gain resources or take a card from the market. You can call cards from your deck by moving them to your out-of-play history. Or one of the most important cards, the glory card, is going to allow you to discard several regions from your tableau in order to gain precious, precious fame cards, which usually offer up a lot of victory points. Some of the cards that you can gain in play are considered uncivilized or civilized, and these cards can only be played in your barbarian or empire states respectively. So that's an important part to keep in mind. Even the cards you're able to play are going to change the game depending on if you are still in your barbarian state or if you've become a little bit more civilized and moved on to your empire state. Again, you get to do three actions, usually which is consisting of playing cards. You also are able to exhaust powers on cards that are already played, and there's a few other things you can do as well. But at the end of your turn, you're going to discard any cards you played and as many more cards as you want, and then you'll drop to your hand size. When you're drawing, if you ever need to reshuffle your deck, you're going to add a single card from your nation deck into your discard and then shuffle that up. These nation cards are usually a little bit more useful and specific to your faction, and every time you add one, you're moving a little bit closer to your empire state. When you're out of nation cards to add to your deck, you instead add your ascension card and you become an empire for the rest of the game. Once you become an empire, all future reshuffles of your discard pile are going to allow you to purchase one of your development cards to add to your deck. These are really powerful cards and unlike nation cards, they have a cost which can be steep that you have to be able to pay in order to add them to your deck. And that's pretty much what a turn of activation can look like. And again, that's the bulk of the game. But before I talk about the other two types of turns, I wanted to talk about the ways you get cards from the market. And this is either through acquisition or breakthrough. These two actions are almost identical, but they have a key difference. When you acquire a card, you gain the card from the market along with its negative unrest card that's kind of paired with it. 
But if you break through, it's usually a more difficult to do or more expensive action, but you avoid taking that unrest card along with the card you're claiming. Like I said, unrest cards are bad, they clog up your hand, they cost you negative victory points at the end of the game, and they could even lose you the game in certain instances. So knowing that instead of activating on your turn and taking several actions, you can instead innovate. When you do this type of turn, you just discard your entire hand and break through for any card on the market. Again, breaking through takes no unrest, but that's it. That's your whole turn. You get one card. It can be a really powerful action if timed right, but for the most part, you're going to want to be doing more things on your turn than just breaking through for one card. And the final type of turn is to revolt, which is probably the simplest of all turns. When you revolt, you simply discard any number of unrest cards from your hand back to the shared supply. That's it. Easy peasy. It's a great use of your turn if you're loaded down with these unrest cards and you just have a, a bummer of a hand. So again, you can activate, you can innovate, or you can revolt. Players are just going to go around the table performing one of these three types of turns until the game ends, which can happen in one of two general ways. The first way a game can end is if one of the main public decks of cards runs out or a player develops their final development card. If this happens, the players are going to score all the cards in their deck, which are usually worth various amounts of points, either a set amount or they give you bonuses for having a certain amount of other cards in your deck. A few of them, like unrest cards, are also negative victory points. So you'll just basically add up and count up and do all the math to figure out how much all your cards are worth and the highest score wins. However, if the public supply of unrest cards is ever completely depleted, the game will end instead in collapse. If collapse happens, there is no scoring at all, and whoever has the least amount of unrest cards in their deck wins, and that's basically how Imperium works. Now, there is a whole lot that I didn't mention. I just wanted to give you a brief overview because this is actually a really pretty complex game. So... What did I think of Imperium Classics and Legends? I think that these games are a really odd duck, and my personal journey with both of these games uh, was also kind of unexpected and odd. So I picked up Imperium Classics, hearing that it was a really great solo game and just kind of hearing a lot of hype and love thrown that way. And of course, I love solo games. I'm always looking for something really interesting. So eventually I was just like, I got to pick this up. I had watched several playthroughs or video reviews about it, and I couldn't quite tell if I was going to like it or not, but I figured it was worth a shot. So I finally grabbed a copy when it became available. And I sat down and I proceeded to learn it. And like I said, there are eight civilizations per box and... At this point, I've played with all of the nations from the classic set and most from the Legends set. And in addition to trying every faction that I've tried up to this point, I have also played several games back-to-back -back with the same faction just to learn the game or uh, when I felt like I could do a little bit better or anything like that. So all told, I probably have played 15 to 20 times now if I had to take a guess. And my first several plays really felt like going through the motions I was really referencing the rule book a lot, kind of having a little bit of a hard time understanding what I was supposed to be doing or what the proper way to even go about a turn was. And that is largely because the rule book is not great at all. It's not laid out in a way that makes a lot of sense for learning. It's not really, it kind of doesn't give you a high level overview of how the whole game is going to flow and it really gets into the nitty gritty details fast. 
which aren't that helpful if you kind of don't have any context for how these nitty gritty details are going to play out. So my first couple games really were spent just feeling my way around and constantly referencing a huge list of keywords. This game is all card based pretty much, and it relies heavily on keywords. And that in and of itself is not a bad thing for me. I am actually a huge keyword fan. <laughs> Might be a nerdy thing to say, but I am a huge keyword fan. Like I said on our last episode where we ran down our top 10 games, Android Netrunner is one of my favorite games of all time. And that game is notorious for having a massive amount of very specific and difficult to parse keywords when you first play it. But I am a firm believer that these keywords help you play a very clean and efficient game when they're done correctly. And what I mean by that is they hopefully will eliminate a lot of the ambiguity that you might otherwise have. For instance, in Netrunner, a player's hand is called their HQ if they're playing the corporation, and it's called their grip if they're playing the hacker. Another game might have just said, search your opponent's hand, search your hand, take a card from here, take a card from there. It might have just, you know, kind of used relational language to kind of establish what you're supposed to do. But when you do use a keyword like grip or HQ, it makes it 100% clear, no matter what side you're playing, no matter what you're doing, no matter what other things are happening, where you are going to be pulling those cards from or interacting with. The HQ is always the corporations, regardless of which side you're playing. To that extent, the Imperium games rely on keywords a lot to be incredibly concise with what they're referring to since there's so many different types of cards and so many different types of things you could be doing. And because the factions are so asymmetric, there could just be a lot of confusion, I think, because it is such a complex system with so many moving parts. Being a fan of keywords is one thing. However, the keywords in Imperium Classics and Legends, when you first start playing, is a next level of keywords because you will be reading a keyword and it is using one or two other keywords in the definition of the first keyword. So it becomes a daisy chain of nested statements that you kind of have to keep track in your head. Again, this is just learning the game. Once you learn it and these become second nature, it really isn't that difficult. But for those first few games, I really was kind of just following this little network of keywords until I finally fully understood what one single keyword meant before I could take one action on one of my three actions on my turn. I don't know if there's anything they could have really done about that. It's the nature of a game where there is so many different types of things that you can be doing and so much asymmetry between the nations and, and all of these things intermixing. The, the overhead is just a lot when you first start getting in this game. Once I did get into it, obviously it got a lot simpler and things started to make sense. And the next step was really kind of figuring out how to put all these different actions together in a way that made sense and made progress towards an end game or a victory condition at all. It's a pretty open game. It's not entirely clear what is going to win you the game. Uh, you know, you have a sense of what's going to generate points. Your faction gives you a little bit of a hint the cards in the market that are going to come out are going to be worth different amounts of points and, and maybe even let you score points in different ways. So you're always looking at all of these different elements when you're making your first decisions. But I didn't feel right away that I really understood what I was doing to win. I knew what I was doing to progress the game towards its end state. And I did feel like whoever was going to win was kind of just a question mark, <laughs> which is okay. This game for me feels like it really is truly trying to 
articulate these different types of civilizations through the ways that they play with the mechanisms between the nations. And even after 20 games or so of Imperium, I do feel like it's more of an experience and a story that's unfolding. Um, a very abstract story, not not a very specific story, but I kind of just feel like it's more interesting to see how things evolved than I feel like I'm being really intentional about winning the game, if that makes sense. There might be players who play on a really competitive level, but it, it's not me at this point. I think the main part of this game is really exploring these vastly different factions and just seeing where that brings you and having fun exploring the differences between them. There is a lot of different ways that each faction is going to change up that formula. You already start asymmetric. During the game, you're collecting some cards from that public market that are kind of the generic cards that everyone has the opportunity to get. But also every time you're going through your deck, you're adding in those nation cards and then eventually your development cards. And so every cycle through your deck, your nation is going to gain abilities. It's going to get a little bit more color about what makes it unique or what makes it special or about how it interacts with the world. And that's pretty cool to see. All of the player-specific cards do get pretty granular in about how they're reflecting certain historic figures, places that were important to that nation or culture, moments in history, all sorts of different things. And so it's really fun to play through these decks and see how they interpret these different cultures through this gameplay lens and kind of give them each their own personality through nothing but really mechanical and almost abstract actions. And I say mechanical and abstract actions because I do feel like these are very procedural actions that are getting you cards, they're getting you unrest, they're placing cards into your tableau, expanding your territories, they're giving you new philosophical concepts that become the foundation of your civilization that stay in your tableau for the rest of the game. There's all sorts of different things that can happen, but because they're all cards they don't really feel like places or ideas or things or people. They kind of just feel like new actions you have access to that, again, add that color and add that variety. But I never felt like I could visualize my nation expanding into a great empire or there was nothing that was super tangible about the actions they were doing. I felt like I was making interesting gameplay decisions, but not really shaping that story, which is kind of antithetical of what I said, how I felt like this is a narrative story. But again, it's really just how my tableau and how my deck was growing and trying to make those thematic connections about why that might be the case. A lot of times you could you could kind of get there, but there was a few that I was just like, I don't really get what that means or what that's trying to do, but I have this new ability. That's cool. I'm into that. And going back to that asymmetry, it's really fun to see that. And that is really what kept me going game after game is just seeing what was around the next corner. What was I going to unlock with the next faction that I played with? And some of them are really different. Some of them change key fundamentals of how you even interact with the game. For instance, some don't have a history. You can't call your cards into this history. You basically have to live with whatever decisions you've made throughout the entire game. Other nations could never move beyond the barbarian phase of their culture. Other nations started in their empire state and just stayed there the rest of the game. The main cycle of how most of the nations work are you work through your deck to cycle in those new nation and development cards. And also there's this card called glory, where you are going to be able to recall or discard three different lands and you gain these fame cards, which again are worth big points. That felt like a loop that was pretty consistent through a lot of the factions, 
some factions favored getting more cards and making this big deck of lands or something like that, while others favored being pretty svelte and just tearing through your draw pile again and again. However, there was a few others that totally threw that out the window and just kind of did something completely different. The Arthurians were more about gathering these knights and going on quests. And it really was different from anything else in the game that I had seen. So there was just a lot of new and interesting concepts always around the next corner that I was kind of I was kind of addicted to discovering during those first um, <laughs> dozen plays. So that's really interesting. The game itself, like I said, is a deck builder, but I wouldn't have described it that way. And that's just because almost everything it did, it's doing different than I've seen any other game do it. And I think that's really refreshing and really exciting. So I was into just kind of seeing this kind of alien different way of approaching a really familiar topic and some really familiar gameplay concepts. The way you're going through your deck, you're building a tableau and tearing your tableau apart for glory, gaining cards along with the unrest, kind of the idea that you're getting something good, but it's creating some tension in your culture that you're going to have to deal with. All of those were really interesting things. And I think Imperium Classics and Legends was something that I talked about in the last episode. Again, I am into experiencing these systems that might not always be fun, but are really interesting. And I think Imperium is a great example of just something that's continually interesting. However, I'm not positive it is all that fun. So let's talk about a few of the things that I didn't like. I already mentioned the rule book, which was difficult to learn, but I can get past. Again, I bought this as a solo game. So let's talk about that. The solo mode adds on a whole nother layer of complexity. How the solo mode works is you are actually running a different civilization against yourself. That civilization uses its own unique deck, it has its own unique flavor, and it even has its own unique kind of lookup table of how it's going to react because you're going to deal out up to five cards around and activate these five cards. And each civilization is going to basically have a priority chart and say, is it this type of card? Is it this type of card? Is it this type of card? And you go down that chart until you say, yes, it is. And at that point, it says this faction claims this many cards, or it gains this much resources, or you know various things. So that added a whole nother layer of referencing the rule book. One thing that's really fixable but almost unforgivable in a game that feels like it was really meant to be a solo game, um, maybe if not first and foremost, very front and center in the development, is that they have a unique table for the barbarian and empire side of each of these 16 nations. And they're all just listed in the back of the solo rule book in several back-to-back pages. Now, this is a problem because if you're already having trouble referencing all the different rules regarding the solo mode, you're going to have to flip back between that table and then the rule book to even figure out what that table means. This could have easily be remedied by just including eight cards in each box that just had the table printed on it. And in fact, there is a resource on BoardGameGeek where somebody went ahead and created those as a printable thing. And I printed those and that made my plays of the game so much easier, took up less table space because instead of having this open rule book to a certain page with multiple tables on it, I just had one card with the table I needed at the moment. So that was a trick to the solo mode. In addition to that, similar to the keywords, as you played the solo mode, you you eventually learned what these things were and you learned how to do them. Now, every civilization was different, so you did kind of have to relearn that priority chart or how they were going to do things differently than the civilization you just played against, but it got pretty manageable. 
That being said, the AI's turns usually took as long as my turns. And so that was just not ideal. It's not a quick game and that just added a lot of time and it also kind of broke up that flow. So I sometimes would kind of forget about that next thing I was doing because I was so invested in what I had to do for the AI's upkeep. That's just the nature of solo gaming sometimes, but there are really smooth systems that do kind of mimic that player interaction in a simpler way. And to add to that, although each faction does have its own flavor, at the end of the day, I really kind of felt like I was doing my own thing and the AI was doing its own thing. Occasionally, we would kind of interact with each other or put our fingers in each other's tableaus or anything like that. But for the most part, it was basically a way to figure out how many points the AI made. And at that point, it might have been easier to just kind of have a simple system to remove some cards from the market to mess with my cards a little bit and then just give me a score to shoot for or something like that. I think the upkeep for what I got out of it just wasn't what I was looking for in terms of the solo mode. Again, it made it more interesting and more varied in a lot of ways, but I don't know if the payoff was worth everything that I kind of had to keep up with. And so keeping in mind that I only played it solo, I also felt like the game always went on a little bit too long. Even though I was adding these new cards, again, going through this deck, which sometimes got bigger, sometimes got smaller, depending if I was adding to it with my development cards or if I was calling cards into my history and making it a little bit smaller. Either way, towards the end of the game, I kind of felt like I was just shuffling things around to get to the end game. It was rare that something truly exciting happens. And despite how different all the nations are, at the end of the day, the turns themselves didn't feel wildly different. And it's a weird thing to say that, but I just think that a lot of the actions you take are kind of these small steps and they're very procedural. And I just felt like they ultimately ended in something that wasn't entirely interesting. Making kind of bigger plays really took a while to build up to. When you did make that big play, it wasn't like a stand-up fingers to the sky moment. It was more just like, oh, I did it. I got a fame card or... I finally, you know, I don't even know what, you know, it just wasn't something that was truly memorable. So I think I didn't have that kind of like palm rubbing moment of just seeing a plan come together very often, which is something that I really do like about most of my solo gaming experiences where I'm just really excited to take my next turn because I know I'm about to do something really important and really something meaningful or making a plan come together. In this one, I really kind of felt like I was working through a set of cards to the end of my civilization and trying to get as many points as I could, however I could throughout that, using the, the public market or just by um, maximizing whatever my cards could do. Maybe that seems self-explanatory, but I just didn't feel that excitement. All of that said, I mean, I think that was pretty negative, but all of that said, I played it more than 15 times. It's not a short game. Each one of those plays was probably hour and a half to two hours. And that means I played this game for probably over 30 hours and I bought them one at a time. I bought Imperium Classics. I played every single faction and I basically played them back to back. I would play one against a civilization, finish that game, move the civilization I just played over to be the AI, pull out a new civilization and play again. When I finally did work my way through every single faction and felt like I kind of got each faction a little bit. I immediately went out and I bought Imperium Legends. And I started to do the same thing with Imperium Legends. And I really did think it was pretty fascinating using this system that remained pretty constant, but just mixing it up in new ways, how it represented history and culture in new and different ways. 
I was pretty addicted to, again, having that experience again and again and again. But I think sometime while I was playing through the Legends box, I kind of realized that the game just never really clicked with me, but I always suspected it was about to. After every single game I played, I was ready to tear it down and set up the next one immediately. I felt like that game was slightly unsatisfying or hollow in some way, but I always felt like that the next game was going to be one that it really clicked and became kind of a solo classic in my mind. And so I was really kind of chasing that high of being like, the next time is going to be the one where I'm just going to feel awesome about this game. Because this one was so close. It was really interesting. I just, you know, something about it left me a little unsatisfied, but the next one is going to be the one. (laughs) And then after about 16 games or so, I just was like, maybe it's not. Maybe this game isn't for me. Maybe there's something about this game that just isn't going to click with me. And that's okay. I had a great experience. I don't regret my time with the Imperium games. I love exploring new systems. And honestly, if somebody suggested playing it, even multiplayer or anything, if they brought it to me and said, I want to play this, I would say, yeah, let's play it. I'm totally down for that. And right now I have it on my cell pile. I'm not convinced I won't pull it off and play a few more games before I get around to passing it along finally. And so take that for what it is. I feel like overall I'm a little underwhelmed with the game, but I played it over 15 times back to back and I immediately went out and bought that second copy. So there must be something there. Like it, even my favorite games, I don't play back to back 15 times. Maybe I should, (laughs) but there was just something about Imperium classics and legends that really did kind of sink its teeth into me and make me want to keep coming back and explore it. I wish overall I was left with a more positive experience, but It just might not be for me and there might be other people and I'm positive there are because I've heard them, you know, have conversations and give reviews and all sorts of things where this is like an amazing solo game that is right in their wheelhouse. But for me, I think I'm done with the Imperium system. If they put out a new box set, who knows, I might buy it and explore that one as well. And that is the mysterious allure that is the Imperium games. If that sounds interesting to you, I would wholeheartedly suggest checking it out. It's a really unique system. It's really different from anything that I've seen. It does a great job simulating a lot of bigger concepts that I don't see a lot of games tackle. Yeah, it's just an odd duck, like I said. But if that sounds good to you, then check it out and I'd love to hear what you think. And I think that's all I have to say about Imperium Classics and Legends. I hope you enjoyed this fireside chat with just you and me. If you do end up playing these games and want to let me know what you think, you can find us on Instagram. We are shuffle underscore buddies underscore pod. You can contact us on Twitter. We're shuffle underscore buddies. You can send us an email, shufflebuddiespodcast at gmail.com. And of course, you can head over to our guild on BoardGameGeek. We are boardgamegeek.com slash guild slash 3836. Oh, And while you're on BoardGameGeek, make sure to join the guild. That would be awesome. But also, I have created a Shuffle Buddies micro badge, which you can grab and show your support for the podcast. I just did it on a whim because I like making things, and it got approved. So it's available for you to purchase. If you don't have any geek gold because you are not an active BoardGameGeek member, hit me up. I will be happy to give you the geek gold it takes to buy the micro badge. And in fact, I'll give you a few more in case you don't have an avatar and you want to buy some other micro badges as well. I'm all about supporting Board Game Geek and showing your geeky love on there with whatever you decide to display for your micro badges. 
Um, but I just thought that was fun that we have one. So if you find our guild, there's a link to the micro badge in the more information section. So go check that out. And with that, I will shuffle away into the night. Shuffle, 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 shuffle.